everybody. This is Pastor George, and I am at my house, not in my office, not with all of my normal equipment. I am in quarantine, which is horrible. I hate it, but here I am. And so what I need to do is I'm going to introduce this upcoming podcast series with my friend Joe Turk. We're going to be doing a series of talks titled, I Know What the Bible Says, but where we discuss uh, topics of scripture where people have taken them and they've changed uh, changed them or misused them or mishandled them. It should be a lot of fun. This is the first installment. I hope you enjoy it. If you like it, give us a thumbs up and say hi to my friend Joe, and we'll see you in future episodes. Uh, so we're going to be dealing with a series of, of Bible topics that um, are commonly misused, mis- uh, misapplied, or uh, just not not handled well in 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 the the church world today so we're going to be dealing with with some of those over a period of time we'll hit a bunch of them um some of them you might agree with some of them you might not but here we go so the first thing we want to deal with is laying the foundation the authority of scripture by itself so yes we're we're christians we want to deal with the bible um if if christ is the uh, uh, is the sole authority in our life, then we have to uh, understand where do we get that authority from? Is it the voice within or is it the word on the page? Um, and that that seems to be the debate going on in, the, in, in a lot of the church today. There's a huge portion of the church that just wants to cast aside the word on the page and just go with the voice within. And um, there's a, another section of the church that is saying, hold on, hold on, we have been given this word and... It, if the spirit within is contradicting the the word on the page, one of them's got to go. Um, so where do we put our faith and our authority? So when we're talking about this 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 idea, I mean, where how do we you know in, in, it, for you where do we where where do we go from? Where does that what does that trigger for you? I think that the one of the biggest issues is that there's even questioning um, what sections of scripture you know you're, you you've talked about in some of your podcasts, uh, people that are saying you don't need the Old Testament anymore, which, you know, there's that old saying is the the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Um, and there isn't a New Testament without the Old Testament. We wouldn't know, um, you know, why Jesus had to go to the cross. What does it mean when we call him the Passover lamb? Um, you know, what was he, what was he referencing? He referenced, you know, he talks about, you know, uh, you did this in one of your podcasts, you know, um, Moses spoke about me, but if you don't listen to Moses, you know, how are you going to listen to me? And I'm paraphrasing that, but I think yep. the, the first thing we, we need to, to really look at is, is, is in this is when you look at all the writings in the New Testament, the accounts of Jesus, the, the four God, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you look at everything that, you know, Paul and all of his, um, the people that he was in ministry with wrote, Everything that they were revealing, everything that they were talking about, everything that they were um, teaching about was a revelation of how the Old Testament has now been fulfilled with Jesus. They weren't giving new, the only thing new they were giving is all this Passover lamb, the, 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 the Savior that Isaiah had prophesied, all these foreshadowings that God had in the Passover, in Pentecost, and all of this has now came through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, there is not, they're not creating new theology. They're basically giving the revelation of what God's always set in place um, with some clarification on things uh, like, you know, Jesus boiled it down to a matter of the heart. The outward doesn't, you know, is, is, is fine, but it, it's not where the real um, 
what's the word I want to use? It's not where the real motives are going to be um, and what really is happening inside you uh, with your intentions. I guess that's the word I'll use. Um, again, boiled it down to a matter of the heart. So when we look at a scripture, if, if we don't look at the author- a scripture as being authoritative, we don't look at it as, you know, given directly from God, um, it's easy then to start to not pay attention to it. And as you said just a second ago, um, the movement is, well, no, we we only need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Well, I've actually, this is literally something, it's interesting we're doing this series of podcasts. Oh, by the way, the name of this podcast or these podcasts will be, um, I know what it says in Scripture, but, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting um dynamic but it's it's happening all over so what i've been sharing with people uh a lot recently it's really really interesting again that we're doing these podcasts is that you know uh the the bible tells us to test every spirit right well if i've got to test every spirit then there's got to be if i've got to test them then there's got to be a a time when i could be deceived or fooled or misguided right if 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 somebody tells me that i need to go bow down to a frog for salvation. I'm going to be like, you know what? We're good. I can, I can ignore that one. Yeah. Right. If somebody says, you know, um, you know, you don't need Jesus to get to heaven. I, these, these, I don't, these aren't ones that I'm going to have trouble with. It's the ones where the, the, somebody has mixed in some of their own spin and theology with a scripture that doesn't line up with the context of that scripture it's going to be where something sounds good and sounds spiritual, but it contradicts scripture. I, I reference, um, I, I reference, you know, when Jesus got tempted by Satan, right? Um, what's interesting is how he got tempted and what he used to combat it. Yep. Satan used scripture wrongly placed, wrongly quoted to tempt Jesus. Yep. Jesus countered it not by saying, you know, I bind you, Satan, get away from me, you can't touch me. He yep. just said, it's yep. it's also written. And so when he says that, it shows that God's never going to contradict himself because God's perfect, and God doesn't make a mistake. And so Jesus said, it's also written this, and therefore showing Satan very quickly and pointing out that um, you're misquoting my father's words, and therefore what you're trying to tempt me with, what you're trying to, to miss lead me with is anything but in the right spirit, you could say it sort of, you know? Yeah. So um, how do we test the spirit? There's only one way. There's not, I, I've, I've, I've had some, some, some people say, you know, Oh, I can just sense it. Or, Oh, I know it for sure. But how do you know? It, it, even if I say, um, you know, oh, I know it in my heart. Well, the Bible says the heart's deceptive, so yeah. I, I'm not a really good path to go down there. I pray and about so, it, and I have peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how, how do you how do you test it? And the only way to test it is to be in Scripture. The only way to test it is to know what what God was saying, what Jesus said, what God used people like Paul to say through Scripture. Um, so I think that I know that's kind of a long answer to a short question, but I think the the, uh, my life, man. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think that we need to know the foundations, and we need to know that God's never going to contradict Himself. Even in, you know, Proverbs when it talks about, I think it's a fool uh, answer a fool in his folly, and then the very next 
versus answer. The context yeah. is different for those two. It's, you know, yeah. it depends on the situation. It's not contradicting itself. It's giving you both sides of that coin yeah. so that you're prepared for it. So anyway, that's that's yeah. kind of my take on that. Yeah, that don't answer a fool according to his folly and then answer the fool according to his folly. It actually made me think about something. Let me, let me grab this. Looking up something. Yeah. Uh, Pretty sure. Is kings in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Oh my gosh, we're done. We're hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, That's I don't think it was kings though, wasn't it? In Proverbs, where it oh, says no, that it was, it was definitely in Proverbs. I just I'm just oh. trying to remember. Um, uh, it might be First Kings. Uh, um, I'll 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 find it eventually and, and pop it in there. But basically, uh, the, the people had no kings, so, so they did what they thought was right. And that was what led the nation into sin, that they did what they thought was right. You know, uh, so Second Peter one, uh, nineteen uh, through two, verse two, it actually reads like this: It says, "And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do, uh, um, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in the dark place." So legitimizing the prophetic word even in the New Testament times. So this, this, when people say prophecy doesn't exist in the New Testament, that's that's actually not true. Um, prophecy does exist in the New Testament. We just have to be careful with it. It says, until the day that dawns um, and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That's a very powerful statement there. No prophecy of Scripture is of, of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by uh, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter 2, we tend to separate these things, unfortunately. We think that the chapter markers are actually divinely inspired, and they're not. They're just there to help us find our way around. But that same thought goes into chapter 2, and it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow the destructive way- ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What a what a terrifying uh, thought about the the especially New Testament times, the end days that these things are going to happen. That people who are going to look right, act right, say the right things, lift their hands in worship, you know, they may even pray fervently. They're going to be agents of chaos to bring into the church, into the people of God, destructive heresies. And that's that that term right there, a heresy is a contradiction of the truth that's done intentionally. That is that is a heresy. So these are destructive heresies. So they're designed to bring doubt against the truth. So when people say things like the foundation of our faith is not the authority or the infallibility of scripture, that is a destructive heresy. Uh, which unfortunately makes that person a heretic, um, and they're yeah. and they're bringing they're 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 bringing on themselves a destruction that is I don't even want to think about it. But it's it's interesting how many people within the church refuse to point to something like that and go, no, I'm sorry, that's not that's not even just wrong. That is a that is a destructive a heresy. That's that's Second Peter two two. Um, you know that's this is not this is not good. And scripture tells us to remove ourselves from, from these people. I mean, this is, this is a terrifying thing. I think too, when you think about that, you know, you know, there's so many paradigms to that. And what I mean by that is that, you know, Hey, if somebody 
is is really with with the best of intentions trying to to share a scripture or do a teaching and they get something a little off or they mm-hmm. they they you know you see somebody quote a scripture isolated not as part of the context of that um, vein that it was in that 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 book that it was in I think um, some of those times you know I'm not saying it's okay to misquote scripture so don't let's just say that first absolutely um, but I'm thinking. When we're talking about someone, you know, it just it really just doing it. I'll call it by accident. Again, it doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've all quoted something, you know, out of out of context. Uh, <laughs> I could say that uh, every time they on a wedding when they quote "Love is patient, love is kind," I'm like, that's nothing to do with the marriage covenant. Yeah. Um, but listen, I mean, it, some of those things again, it doesn't justify them. But there's the what we're seeing is. And we've always seen this, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's the internet or maybe it's the, um, the way that there's so many people with a voice nowadays is that they're, they're not only misquoting, they're, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. They're doing it for their own, to create their own platform for their own, their own pride, right? They're doing it to create, um, money that they're bringing in, um, for themselves. And then I'm, Hey, I think as the Bible says, a labor, you know, is, 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 with double wages, I'm paraphrasing that, but I think pastors and preachers and teachers and prophets and apostles, um, evangelists, I think they all deserve. I mean, they're 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 doing a job that that um, is is beyond difficult, and so I'm I'm all about saying, hey, they should they should they they're worthy of, of of being paid. So don't don't take that. What I said is, you know, hey, you can't you should you should be impoverished if you're, you're, you're not going to get an argument from me on that one. <laughs> Yeah, but, um, it's good that I, it's good that I say it when I'm talking. So, um, yeah. but I, I think that um, it, it's it's important to 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 not only acknowledge it, but then how consistent is it? If somebody's consistently mangling scripture, mm-hmm. if someone's consistently adding their own piece, if someone's consistently, um, um, you know, merging scriptures. You remember way back. Uh, uh, when I was still up in New York, there was that one ministry that was talking oh, about yes. press down, shaking together, and they merged two scriptures yes. together. So, and, so you can be prosperous. You're like, that's not a uh, And I'm like, that's not, even, <laughs> that's not even, you're just merged two scriptures aren't even in the same book. Yep. And so, you know, so I think if somebody's doing that, you've got to be careful and you do got to walk away from it. And, and, and the, the other thing that I'll say, and, and I, I'm doing a lot of talking here, I apologize. Um, although I don't. Uh, <laughs> I think that the answer, the, the the question is, how long do you listen to it? So if yeah. I, I'll listen to, and, and and I think the last two th- things I'll say are around this is sometimes I'll hear somebody what I think they're taking out of con- context, but if I give them ten minutes in their message to finish their thought, they wrap it all the way around in, and it's perfectly where it should be. Yes. And so uh, that's another reason not to take. Um, individuals out of context, which you've yep. done in your podcast, you know, read sometimes the whole book or listen to the whole message yep. so that you make sure there wasn't yep. a chance that maybe you were hearing it wrong in that segment, right? Yeah. But once we see that inconsistency, how long do we subject ourselves? I can tell you that there's been um, devotional uh, in the last 12 months that um, I would I would get and I would love it. I would I would it came via email and I'd I'd read it and I really was liking it. And that person started to make some comments related to Christianity and some of the political things going on. And I'm not going to go into the topic. I'm not going to say what it was, but let's just say that it's certainly not something you would mix with scripture. 
And I heard him say it once. I heard him say it twice. And I may even even heard it three times. And at that point, I um, unsubscribed because I said, I can't. I think the, the hardest thing today is I, I got to be on alert. The, you know, I've got to make sure I'm testing every spirit. But I don't want to, if I know someone cons- is consistently misquoting scripture or or mangling it, mm-hmm. it's more work to sit there and go, well, what's right, what's not. What's, I'd rather go find a vein yeah. where I know someone is more consistent. And it doesn't give me the excuse to not test the spirit or pay attention anymore. I just don't want to subject myself to something that might sneak by me. You know what I mean? Yeah, because some, some, I mean, some people can bring in some really good arguments. That are that sound good. They they they. It's it's like this Sunday we talked. Uh, I I did a message and we talked about um, real beef and plant based beef and the idea that you know plant based beef might make you feel good about yourself. It might even be healthy. It might be a good thing for the environment. But at the end of the day, it's a lie. It's it's just a lie. You know, and it's, it's not what it claims to be. And then, uh, you know, I found that, uh, you're talking about the internet and the capability that it can, can do. It brings out this opportunity. I mean, as someone, as someone who speaks for a living, literally, um, you learn very quickly that you can say dumb things, not even thinking about it, just off the cuff. And you know what you meant, but you failed to elaborate on it enough to let other people know what you meant. So you end up looking like you're just saying something you didn't mean to say. You're like, no, no, come back, little word, you know, and that doesn't, it, it doesn't work. So you have to be really careful. Um, but what I found is a lot of these people who are just speaking constantly, they can inevitably, they can un- unintentionally uh, leak out some very foundational beliefs of theirs that you realize, oh my gosh, that is the foundation of their understanding of scripture. That is the foundation of their theology. And it opens your eyes to the rest. Uh, all of a sudden, other things that you've heard them teach, you realize, I misunderstood them. I thought they were, you know, more, more doctrinally grounded. And now I realize, this person is a wackadoodle. They're way off in left field. How and and you realize I I can't sub- subject myself to that if that is their understanding of what Scripture is, what Je- you know, who Jesus is, what salvation is, what repentance is, and you realize this is this I I can't I can't commit myself to this. I find, think too. Well, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Or, or you find some people who have become amazingly popular on what they've written and things like that. Uh, and you find out that the inspiration for them was actually an occult practice, you know, G- a good example, the Jesus calling devotional, uh, the, the, the person who wrote it, wrote it under what is called automatic writing and automatic writing is an occult practice where you sit down, you allow a spirit to just fill you up. And you just begin allowing this, that spirit to write through you. It's nothing that a Christian would ever subject themselves to willingly because it's a demonic practice. Now, people say, but it sounds good. Well, yeah, but Jesus tells us that the enemy comes dressed as an angel of light. You know, if, if, you no, know, I've, I've always believed this. If all Satan has to do is give you an, uh, uh, enough truth mixed with a lie, to keep you from finding Christ, if he can put you on the path of good and not redeemed, he will. 
He doesn't need you to become a Satanist. He just needs you to not get saved. <laughs> and and I think, you is. know, in the battle for the souls, I mean, that no man comes to the Father but through me, right, Jesus said. So in the battle for the souls, you've got to um, – you don't have to, to – you know, derail the whole train. You just need that track to shift enough that it ends up yep. in a different town. Yep. Right. And, and I think too, it's important to say, you know, okay, yo, I, my pastor said something, um, you know, that's, that's unscriptural or my pastor or my teacher said something that's, that he, he twisted scripture. First of all, <laughs> nobody's infallible. Everybody has that. And, and, and yep. you've misquoted, I've misquoted. Absolutely. And, and so I think it's, you know, one is look at the, look at the consistency of it. Number two is use it as an opportunity to go study scripture so that you be, have a better foundation. Yep. It's it's easy. My wife will actually say that to me. She'll say like, you know, okay, you disagree with this. She'll say something. I'm like, I don't know if I disagree, if I agree with that teaching. She'll be like, well, then you need to go search it out mm-hmm. and validate why you disagree. And and that's actually been a great piece of advice to go. You know what? <laughs> so there was a, there was a guy that I was listening to speak one time, but he had a great statement. It was profound. He said, Christians are extremely passionate about what they disagree with and completely uneducated about what they agree with. And I thought, man, that is so profound because we do, we're quick to go, no, that's not right. Or that's fine. Or, but we don't have the foundation. So it's been a challenge to myself. I mean, my wife challenged me with it. I've challenged me with it. You've challenged me in that is go search it out. So that's the second thing is, you know, don't just, first of all, don't just abandon your church. You know, it's not, you're, you're never going to find a church that's hundred percent perfect all the time. And if number you do, two, if you do, you've messed it up. <laughs> so just number two, use it as an opportunity to dig into scripture. You know, there's, there's so many free tools out there today that you would 20 years ago, you would have to purchase. I mean, things like a Matthew Henry commentary, you can find it online for free. Yep. Um, Hebrew and Greek. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? The uh, dictionaries. There's a, there's a special name for them though. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Exactly. See, I'm not the only. See, people listening to this podcast, I'm not the only one. I can't that's, remember. This. That's as I, I have. I have two of them sitting. Com- right commentary, not commentaries. Uh, okay, well, I call them Bible dictionaries, right? So those are free. There's so you. I mean, you know, everybody's got the Bible app. You can with with so many things on their phone. So we have the ability to do that more than ever. Um, but then also number three, and that's what I was saying before, is if you if it is consistent, um, and, and if you hear it you know, scripture getting twisted or mangled or misquoted, you have two choices. You can go approach the pastor. If you have that, feel like you have that autonomy and say, Hey, I don't think this is right. You know, maybe we could do a little, uh, a deep dive in or something like that. Sometimes people don't have that autonomy to do that, or they're not going to get an audience. And sometimes pastors are going to be more than happy to take that time and teach someone. Um, but the, if, if, if you, if that person won't listen, then it's probably, this is this is my opinion only. It's probably time to look for somewhere else. And and the reason is what I said earlier is that while I think we should test every spirit, while I think we do need to be educating ourselves and have a better foundation, I also don't want something to sneak by. And all of a sudden it's permeated me because we underestimate yeah. what even some small permeations in our mindsets and in our beliefs can do. You know, it's interesting that Jesus used yeast in both contexts. In the bad context, a little yeast can spoil the bunch. He also said, you know, it can actually affect it in a positive way. So we have to keep in mind it doesn't take a lot for it to affect the whole. Yeah, yeah, it becomes it becomes becomes important. You know, as someone with a culinary background, using yeast and different leavens, 
there's a there's a right way to use them. There's a wrong way to use them. And then there's the oh crap, what did I just do? Because you can't those those are the types of things that you can't get back. You know, yeah. once once yeast is in, it's in. That that's pretty much the end of it. You know. So I want to play you a video that uh, it's a video that you've seen before, um, and it's about one of my favorite popular punching bags, uh, Andy Stanley. And um, so um, and this is this is an older one, but this is a. This is this is a foundational thing with with him and his ministry, uh, and over uh, uh, over the course of time, you, you kind of become more aware of different things. In more recent messages, he said things like, um, "You shouldn't listen to the Old Testament because it's not about you. You shouldn't follow the Ten Commandments because it's not about you." Uh, things like that, and it always puzzled me, like, how do you even get to that point? But this little clip kind of helps understand where he came from and i'd like to get just get your initial comment uh, initial thoughts on what this clip is so let me put this up and we'll play it and go from there remember my freshman english class at georgia state university we were talking about literature it was a a literature class and one of the pieces of literature was the bible and my teacher was not an anti-religious person but began to talk about the myth the creation myth other creation myths and without meaning to, began to slowly dismantle the faith of every single person in there who had grown up in church. When she was finished, all of us were convinced that there are many creation myths. The story of Adam and Eve is a creation myth. It's one of many. Let's move on to the next topic. Well, because of the way the scripture had been presented to me and probably everybody in that class, it's a house of cards. So as soon as you pull out one piece of the Bible to say, this is a myth, well, then immediately it's like, well, what else in there? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tells us that story. Okay. Uh, so, it blows my mind every I've time seen- I hear it. Yeah, I, I've seen you play this before on some of your podcasts. It blows my mind as well because, first of all, you and I have talked about this. Is if you told, in fact, it's interesting. I actually just said this to someone, um, and and it was and as probably when I say just probably about a month ago, and the light bulb went off in their head. I said, "Explain to me why Jesus had to come, why he had to die on the cross, and what it was doing." And don't use the Old Testament. And they thought about it for a minute and they were like, oh my gosh, that's great. I'm going to use that. Because they realized that if you only had the New Testament, there is references, there's things he alludes to, but there's absolutely zero foundation of how God set up his original Levitical law. Things like Passover and what it points to. Things like um, even like Pentecost. And, and what that pointed to, um, and, and if you look at the, the feasts in the Bible, if you look at those uh, those times of celebration, every one of those, or almost every one of them, I, I'm sure there's maybe some that didn't, but the, the, the major ones all point, they're a foreshadowing of what's going to happen and how it's going to be fulfilled through, through Christ. So you can't even explain Jesus dying on the cross yeah. without the Old Testament. And so... It's 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 scary, um, but I think what probably the most scary thing is that is that people don't um, contest it; they don't question, you know. Yeah, Richard Dawkins is really good for uh, his his one of his main goals is to 
to help Christians to try to get them to understand that they can't trust the source of their faith. You know, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, and the the interesting thing about that is you can use that as a call to arms, like, we will defend the foundations, and that that's good. But the other side of it is that within that reference is the righteous are doing nothing while the foundations are being destroyed. They're just sitting around going, ooh, it thinks you're so bad. We're so, we're so discriminated against. We, no one loves us. We're just gonna, we're just gonna sit here and trust God to send lightning. That, that's what we're gonna do. Cause, and the, you know, the righteous do nothing and the foundations are destroyed. And it, it's interesting to see that all it took in Andy Stanley's life was an English class for him to start doubting the scriptures. Which tells me that early on in his life, he was never, he may have been taught the scriptures, but he was never taught why. He was never taught the background. He was never given the foundation that let him lean on that and that alone. And that becomes very difficult. Now, for those of you watching, um, just to, just for disclosure, I am a young earth creationist and I believe the Bible from beginning to very end. Um, there is not a piece of it that I do not believe was not inspired by God. It is all given by God. It is all true. 100% of it start to finish. Um, the trick is that we have to learn to read it for what it is. Um, and one of the things that I like to say during my, my uh, Bible and hermeneutics classes is that uh, uh, the Bible can never mean to us what it could never have meant to the people it was originally written to. And so today, in our 21st century mindset, we try to overanalyze everything, and we think that modern archaeology is going to be the key to understanding the past, and that's actually not necessarily the case. A lot of times it very much confuses the past because we get it screwed up, you know? I mean, people didn't think the city of Troy really existed because it was a myth until they found it, you know? They didn't believe that a lot of the lot of the, the uh, societies and the cities uh, laid out in the Bible, they didn't believe they existed until they went to where the Bible said they were, and they found them, you know? Every step of the way, the Bible proves itself to be reliable, and I find it interesting that when... When uh, uh, when Andy Stanley talks about our faith is not grounded in the in the authority of Scripture, but it's grounded in who is Jesus. And I, I remember the first time I watched the video, I yelled at the at the screen. I'm like, "You don't know who Jesus is without Scripture, you moron!" And, and I'm like, "Oh, I can't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that." You know, just the 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 weird the it, it it's 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 almost like an unforced error in sports. You know, it's just. How do you not as because he's a smart guy. He's not he's not dumb, you know, and I think he's actually trying to seek some sort of truth. I just think his foundation is is way off. If he's not well, believing it, the scripture to be to be true front to back, he's got nothing to base the rest of his ministry off of. Well, Paul says the law is the schoolmaster or the tutor that led him to Christ. Yeah. So what's interesting is is that it's not, you know, we're not saying the law should still be around the Levitical law. Obviously, we know that's been fulfilled. But those Ten Commandments, that law hasn't went anywhere. It, you know, uh, I, I, Paul, I think it was Paul that said, um, I would not know sin except by the law. So here's Paul saying these things that are, well, where do we find the, the um, Ten Commandments? Hmm, Old Testament, yeah. right? Now, Jesus summed them up. Right. And the way he summed them up, you know, with love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. All the all the law is summed up in those two scriptures. Right. But when you look at that, it still points you to the fact that there is sinfulness. It still points you to, again, as I said, in, in towards the beginning of this, Jesus made it even 
even even took it to the next level. He made it all about a matter of the heart. So now it's not, you know, it's not my outward. It's 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 my inward. And so Paul is saying that the law is the schoolmaster that led him to Christ. Yeah. Yet the Old Testament and the infallibility of, of 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 Scripture and Scripture being foundational doesn't matter. That just yeah. That just doesn't. There's no. I mean, we don't. I mean, I don't know that we have to discuss it further because it's so it's so just dynamically wrong. Yeah. So we talk about. Uh, you know, you talk about the, the Ten Commandments. I remember getting into a conversation. Someone said, "You know, Ten Commandments are Old Testament. Uh, you know, and they're they're part of the law." And I, I, I just asked the guy, "You know, what what part of the law are they?" And it took him a few minutes to to to, to search the scriptures, and he realized they're not part of the law; they predate the law. They're given separately to the nation of God's people, completely separate separate from the. Uh, uh, from the revelation of the law of sin and atonement, they're they're not connected. You know, we're talking about a Mount Sinai experience versus a desert experience. They're, they're so, do, do you think? Let me let me interject. Do you think Paul was talking about the Levitical law? Is the schoolmaster? I, I think he was talking about both. Okay. You know, okay. but one never goes away. You know, uh, okay. it, it's 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 always the same thing. So when you get into this part where Jesus is talking, and he says, "Do you not uh, uh, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There is there is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust." And he's he, he's he's telling these people, Moses is the one who is accusing you of being a false teacher, of not knowing what you're talking about. And he says, um, uh, "For if you believed Moses, you would believe me." You know, um, uh, for he wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You know, and I, I, it's, it's interesting to me because I go all the way back to, uh, to John three, um, when, uh, Jesus is talking to, to Nicodemus and Jesus is, and Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel. How do you not know? How is it that you don't know who I am? You know, and Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is, is is trying his best, but what they what they found out was they did not understand what God was telling them for a couple thousand years, even when it was standing in front of them. They because their 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 foundational understanding is, was wrong. Their foundational understanding was that we're special, everybody else isn't, and when Jesus comes, they'll let God will let them know how special we really are because of our ability to follow this written law. It's crazy, you know. <laughs> But now we have this, we have this same kind of, kind of battle. And, uh, I love Paul's conversion when, um, you know, even though uh, we don't know exactly what, what happened, but we know that he was struck blind, led into the city, and then someone that he would have happily killed had he had gotten in there without Jesus's intervention in Damascus comes to the house, prays for him. And then when it says the scales fall from his eyes, he still sat there for three days and did nothing. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. And part of me wonders, was he going back over everything that he had been taught in, in his life and realizing I had it all wrong? You know, I, and I'm, I'm literally fighting against the thing that I had devoted my life to because my trust was in my understanding of my denominational view, which is essentially what Pharisaical doctrine was. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, it's really great that you want to be a Christian, but first you need to be a good Baptist, you know, or something that like you need to be a good Catholic or whatever, which is completely false. He didn't fall back on the promises and 
And because he didn't fall back on the promises, he didn't understand the promise when it was right in front of him. I mean, what, what an amazing revelation. I, mean, I can't imagine what those first few days were like for him. And then when he gets up, he goes out and starts preaching, knowing that someone just like himself is probably going to come and kill him. And he was okay with it. There was no one who knew the cost of preaching Jesus better than Paul because he made a lot of people pay it. You know, he did. He did. <laughs> and, they, um, you know, the other piece of that is, is there was also, I mean, you know, he describes himself as a Pharisee among Pharisees. There was yeah. also no one more educated in it so that yeah. when he got the revelation, all of those Old Testament teachings, all of those, um, the scrolls he was reading from, every, Thing historically just came to light in such a new way um, you know and, and what I what I also what's interesting is a huge piece of Paul's ministry was helping people to understand proper teaching mm-hmm. calling people out that were not teaching accurately yeah. even um, I believe was it John or uh, no well, Peter Peter, several, yeah, there's several. But Peter, oh, Peter. Yes, was yeah. yeah saying you know about some of the 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 Hebrew practices and and you know and and those things and and them needing to still be around. Yeah, uh, you can put up that scripture. Yeah, um, yeah. if you want. He, he caught but, so out Paul his was, face. and so what Paul ended up doing was once he understood that he had got it wrong and now he had revelation and now he the light bulb went off. Yeah, a huge piece of his ministry was making sure people were accurately teaching, um, and 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 um, helping people learn what the truth was. And so that's you know you think about that 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 huge paradigm shift, um, and then it it not only converts him, but um, it becomes part of his really his, his mission. You know yeah. when he's when he's traveling all over the place. Yep. Yeah, a huge element of his ministry was was getting people to hang on to the doctrine. And that's, that's the way he put it, to the doctrine that I gave you. Do not stray from the doctrine that I gave you. And Peter even even declares his epistles as epistles, as scripture. You know, in Peter's letters, he says, you know, Paul wrote to you in, in his epistles, and some of the stuff were really hard to, to understand, but people, and I'll, I'll put the reference up, but people twist it uh, twist his teachings just as they do the rest of Scripture. So Peter was calling Paul's writings Scripture in the New Testament times. So when people say <laughs> New Testament Church didn't have Scripture, yes, they did. You know, and they had the bulk. They had they had the, they had a better understanding of the Old Testament than than we do. You know, because well, they, they were everything, everything Paul's writing about, all the revelation he gets. Um, you think about it. I don't know that that even the the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were even available to be circulated at that time. I would be it'd be interesting to know. And, and, and George, maybe you can you can show this is the date when those were completed yep. versus when Paul was preaching. But Paul was speaking out of the Old Testament. Yeah. Every one of those scrolls that he was reading now with the revelation that the Messiah has came. Yep. That's where Paul's writing these epistles, which again goes back to um, did they have the Bible back then? Well, they didn't have it in the bound book, right. but they absolutely had every one of those teachings and every revelation, yep. I would say, um, that Paul was getting. You could say that some 
revelation probably was from the other um, apostles and disciples that he was that he was interacting with. They were giving him, you know, teaching as well. But it was all it was all the revelation that the Old Testament well, has it, been fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. And Paul's epistles epistles predate the Gospels. Okay, because um, yep. they were so, they're they always there there ahead of time. Most of them were written either really late in Paul's life or even after his death. Um, cause, and if you think about it, Paul's ministry throughout the New Testament church world uh, outside of Jerusalem, he was one of the – really one of the only apostles who took the call seriously to go to the nations. The other, the, the other, the other, the other apostles are, are sitting in Jerusalem, even, even though the Holy Spirit said, you'll be my witnesses, you know, all, all around the world. They were kind of like, okay, we're just going to stay here. You know, Paul evangelized the world. But you think about this. Paul, uh, as he's as he's traveling everywhere he went, he was very strategic in what he did. He always stopped at a synagogue first. That's right. That's he, right. Every, everywhere he went, people were like, well, you know, they couldn't have known all the stuff that Paul knew. No, they did, and that's why. So the elders that he would appoint, the leaders in the churches that he would appoint before he would move on to the next location, were always people who would have been well grounded in Old Testament theology. They knew in it. fact. In fact, grounded from a, a very, very young age because yes. the yeah. tradition there was they started just about the time they could read. Yep. They started what they were reading was the Torah. Yep. Right. And so um, that's a really I'm glad you said that because that was kind of like his that was it, it was kind of like his apostolic mission. He would go into these um, he would go into these temples, these synagogues. Right. Yep. And though why they're first and yep. people sometimes don't they, they breeze over that. Because they had all the teachings. Yeah. There was a lot of the Gentiles that maybe if they had – they might not have any teaching um, or very, very minimal. But they had all the teachings. And so what had to happen was the revelation that the Messiah has came, the revelation that the prophecies have been fulfilled. Um, yep. Those foreshadowings have now came to pass. And those were going to be people that foundationally, if, 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 the, if the Holy Spirit um, – you know showed them that truth, you know, if the light bulb went off, that they were as solid as could be for teaching and reaching other people. So you could almost look at the um, the, the temples, the synagogues where Paul went to, as kind of like the apostolic centers for those areas, because you go in and you have the converts of people that are very learned in the law and very learned in scripture, they get converted and now, when Paul goes on to the next place, you've got a group of people in that community that can reach that community, both Jew and Gentile, um, with an incredible foundation because they've been studying it all of their lives. So, and the, I don't know that the the phrase apostolic centers is in scripture, but that's a kind of a good way to to phrase it because he was going in his he was going in to establish foundations in those cities with people that absolutely knew scripture inside and out. Yeah, um, he's. I'm actually looking for this in uh, 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 when Paul was. Uh, I think it's in Acts 17 or, or 16 or 17. Paul's talking to the Bereans, um, and he says that they were much more receptive than those in Thessalonica. And so they received the message in the synagogue, but he said they went away and searched the scriptures. So after Paul would preach. He would, they would search the scriptures to find out if those things were so. That's, you don't need a whole lot more 
evidence that, than that, that, you know, when people say, well, they didn't have scripture back then. Well, what were they, what were they searching? <laughs> what were they looking through? Of course they had the scripture and they received the word of the gospel because they found the gospel in the Old Testament. And they realized now things have been made clear. What was made, what was, what was given to us dimly has now been brought into the light. You know, and Christ, Christ is that light. And so it's as, as Paul is going through here, it's like he, when he says first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, you know, there's nothing accidental by, about that. No, because you need teachers that have an excellent scriptural foundation yeah. that once they're saved, I'll use that word, once the, yeah. you know, they realize that the Messiah has came, once they, you know, hear the teachings of Jesus, that no man comes to the Father but through me. Now what happens? Now it's time to go out and spread the good news. Well, how do I know that this was good news? Because it's been foreshadowing for thousands of years because God set this up because Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah coming. And how do we know that? Because they were learned in the scriptures. And they were learned in the scrolls, right? Jesus read from the scroll. What was he reading? It was books of the Bible. That's what, you know, that's what we, that's what we have today. It's, if, if, and I'm going to make this saying, a statement. And if you want to cut this out, cut it out. But this is not, I, I, there's no, there, there's nothing, I don't know that there's anything scriptural for this, but this is my opinion. Is there even a higher level of, of like accountability today? Because we have it all consolidated. Because we can find homes with two or three or four or ten Bibles. Because even if you don't have a Bible, I can get on my phone and download the Bible app. Is is I don't I don't know that there's necessarily more accountability. Maybe that's the the wrong word. Yeah. But there's certainly there's certainly we the excuse of oh I don't have access to the teachings. Oh I don't have access to the books. Oh I don't have access to um, you know Bible dictionaries or or, or you know um, a, the- a Bible theosaurus or you know I, I can't understand the context it was it was spoken in yeah. today that all of that. If somebody wants to learn, it is really just an endless supply of information um, out there that's been compiled both in book and on the internet. So, yeah. just yeah. a yeah, we have more biblical information available to us at the touch of a screen than has ever been available to anyone in the history of of the world. But biblical ignorance within the United States, especially in the American Christian Church, is at a higher level than it's ever been. You know, and it's interesting. We find, I mean, myself, I find that people are much more interested in being spiritually minded than biblically minded. You know, and they, they attach themselves to the words of a teacher uh, or a pastor or someone who's who's got a got a ministry of a certain size. Because hey, if your ministry is a certain size, then obviously you're blessed, right? <laughs> um, which makes me go, that's not really true. You know, if that was the case, then we should all be Catholic. Then you know that's that's the way. It should. I'm sure, and I'm sure the Catholic Church would agree with that. You know, that, yeah, <laughs> really, should, all should be Catholic. But the, the 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 problem is that the when you when you look when you look at Scripture, um, the I, I always find this amazing when when we talk about this, and I ask people what what the letters to the churches are, and we tend to look at the Bible as though it's this this one uh, one document. You know, and people still think that the Bible is just a document. They they look at the books of the Bible as as though they're chapters, you know. And that that might be a cutesy way to look at it, but we forget that these these letters were written to churches 
in response to letters written to Paul. And we don't have those letters. So we have Paul responding to questions that we don't have. and But he's responding. People are essentially asking him questions along the lines of, is this good doctrine? Are we following the truth? I mean, that's the line of argument in there. And he's bringing them back to bringing their, their faith and their life back to an alignment with, with what God has always said, which is always the new, the Old Testament scriptures. We look at it as New Testament times, but now it's, it's not, we're not learning anything in the New Testament. We're understanding what we've already been taught. Exactly. Yeah. You know, another area where people question it is they look at the canonical Bible and they say, mm-hmm. uh, well, you know, there's books that were left out. There's some books that, you know, certain religions have added or they subtracted or it didn't make, you know, the canon. And so um, probably George would be good for to go into a little um, explanation of, of, you know, what canonical means. Uh, but, you know, you will use books like um, Enoch and Asher, which are solid books. I don't believe those books. You can correct me if I'm wrong, George. I don't know that the teaching in those contradicts scripture. And I think Jesus even actually quoted from it was asher i think asher, jesus yes. quoted from so but they didn't make the they didn't make the what we know as the canonical bible right the bible yep. that, that that most people have in their in their homes and so there's a question that that sometimes people ask about well you know it was it just a pick and choose how do we um how do we know they picked the right book so does that hurt the integrity of scripture or are we missing scriptures um and, and i think it's a good i, I think it's a, a good discussion only because you know, it helps us to to understand first of all how the Bible was put together, but it also helps us to understand that um, there were a lot of other um, people that were writing books, that were sending letters, that were sure. um, putting together um, you know different uh, forms of literature that necessarily that didn't necessarily make what we have as the canonical Bible. So yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's a, I think it's a good topic to talk about because it's another argument for maybe why. Um, well, here's why, you know, you know, yeah. we don't have to necessarily look at, you know, the Old Testament or look at Scripture, you know, infallible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things that Andy Stanley actually has has correct is that the Bible is a collection of ancient documents that tells us the story of, of God and his interaction with man. The part that he misses is that they are they are divinely inspired and that they are infallible and that they they are they are inerrant. And so um so there's two questions that I typically ask when I deal with um uh, a biblical history and teach and start people on a journey of a bible. And the first one is um do we have all the inspired works? And of course the, the and the answer has to be no. Uh, and that freaks people out because what most people today don't realize is that the the bible that we have is the third iteration of that of that work. You know, and when people say we need to go back to the the way the Bible was when it was first written in English in 1611, I say, great, no problem. I have one. It's sitting over there. It weighs about 80 pounds. Um, it's actually one of the. Uh, it's a reproduction of the Gutenberg Bible. It's monstrous. And you ask people if if that's what you want to go back to, then you you might as well join the Catholic Church because it, it contains the Apocrypha. And they go, well, well, no, we can't do that. Well, time out. If if that's what you want. Then that's what you're going to get, you know. And there have been books that have been taken and added. And and can we argue whether or not they were inspired or not? Sure. I actually think Enoch and Asher should be in the in the canon of Scripture. But you have to ask a, a very a very simple question: 
in regards to that. Are we missing anything without them? And the answer is no. The, we exactly. are not. The answer is no. In yeah. fact, the other piece of that I'll just add, and, and please continue on, but not, it, they don't contradict from, from what I've seen. And, exactly. and certainly, yeah. and they don't add, so we're not missing anything. But what they do, yep. two important things. Two important things. Yep. One, they confirm. Yes. Okay. That means that those other teachings they were teaching consistently back then, they were writing consistently. Yep. Number two is it gives us a context of, of some other perspectives, of some historical um, um, dynamics yep. that only help give better revelation yes. to Scripture, to the um, culture at that time, to things going on as well. Yeah. So um, they could be looked at as, as great historical confirming you know, eight. Yeah. So to speak. yeah. Some some of the really two, one of the really cool things about both about both Asher and Enoch is that they are both pre flood accounts, mm-hmm. and that freaks people out because in order to accept them as actual works, you have to accept the flood for what it is, and you have to accept that there was a pre flood uh, uh, civilization. And people like to think that there was no written language before you know modern Phoenician or early Hebrew, however you want to argue it. And that, you know, man couldn't have had, you know, you know, a, a common written language before then. And we'd know about it, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to ask yourself, so the empires that existed before then, did they do all of it without making any written documentation about anything? Was it all just oral history? I mean, come on, give me a break. You know, you can't run something the size. Joseph could not have run something the size of the Egyptian empire without a written language that the common man understood. It would be physically impossible for Absolutely. him to do what was needed to be done to send the word out among the people to start saving food and building these things. It couldn't have happened without a written language and cuneiform doesn't work. You know, here's a, here's a, here's a tablet in cuneiform. That's 850 tablets long to give you a note that I can, that I could have put in, in a tweet, you know, that it would have been ridiculous. But I, it's it, yeah, and, and and a side note, if I can say to the audience, whoever's listening to this, um, <laughs> is that you might see some podcasts from George and I down the road on the pre-flood antediluvian, oh, yeah. um, um, kind of some things that will be more fun. I call it more fun because I don't believe they're. I believe the flood is foundational, undeniably to our faith. But there's some other things there of what was going on. What does history tell us about some of those cultures? What are some things that scripture says that they don't, scripture doesn't expound on, but they make a statement that makes you go, wait a minute, what, what are they talking about yeah. there? Um, so you might see some uh, podcasts yeah. from us in the future, just kind of, well, again, what I call fun, kind of exploring some of those pre-flood. Uh, George, as those of you who are listening may know, is is not only an expert, I consider him an expert in that, he's passionate about it. He, love he loves it, it. Yeah. and uh, and so I mean George is the guy for those of you listening that gets a thirty-eight page white paper on the DNA of the grasshopper and Something read it front to back twice, yeah. and is excited about it. But he's excited because it only points to the validity of a creator with intelligent design, and that it, the creation theory isn't a theory; it's the truth. Yeah. Um, I get the thirty-eight page white paper on the DNA of the grasshopper and I read the title and then I put it down and ask George what it's about. So, uh, but look, stay tuned for some of that in the future. Uh, my, my fingers are going opposite as I'm pointing. Stay tuned for some of that in the future, uh, that we'll maybe do some podcast on that are just both things that we're passionate about 
and that we enjoy learning really for history. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, Jesus said, so as it was in the days of Noah yes. and will it be right yeah. in, in the end times? I'm paraphrasing that. Yep. Um, but I think it's I think it's good to kind of know some of those things that were going on because well, um, exactly. it points yeah. to things and it makes us – I, I don't think we can ever – the Bible tells us uh, – it's not that I don't think. I know that we're never going to know exactly when the end times come until they're yeah. done. Yep. But what it does is make us alert and aware to maybe some of the things the enemy's trying to do or some things that are trying to creep in and seep in. And so that's my little plug, my little podcast coming soon plug. Yeah. Um, on um, some things pre-flood, but going yeah, back to be. the canonical Bible. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, and uh, something that would be fun to do down the road is the uh, uh, the when you think about a fifteen hundred year society where most people lived seven and eight hundred years, what kind of technology could they have gotten to at the time before the flood? Tech- or what, what kind of technology? What are their civilizational capabilities shared that was maybe not supposed to be shared? I, um, there's, dun, a lot, dun, dun. there's a lot of opportunities yeah so but anyway coming back to the the the, the canon of the scripture so that first one you have you know do we have all the inspired works the answer can, can only be no um but the question is do we have all we need yes of course we do but the second one is uh i think even better was the bible written to 21st century christians you know or another another way to say it is is the english bible was the English Bible inspired? And well, you've opened up a can of worms when you uh, say that. Completely. So people go, well, of course it was because Jesus spoke English. You know, it's like we, we think that we think that Jesus, you know, that all the references that he makes to culture, to, to, to sexuality, to, to money, to property, to, to slavery, you know, to all those things, we look at them with a 21st century mentality and we judge the content of scripture based on our modern, modern moral sensibilities, which are completely out of touch with, with biblical society and how things would have worked at that time. And that goes back to it could never mean to us what it could never have meant to them. You know, when people say, I think, yeah, when yeah, people say the Bible, the Bible is okay with slavery and that's wrong and that's why I don't believe the Bible. Well, fine. You're an idiot. You know, cause we don't, we don't understand, we don't understand, we think slavery, when we talk slavery, we think American, you know, pre-Civil War slavery. That, right. that's what, that's what we think of. And we forget that entire families would have put themselves into slavery for generations in order to keep themselves safe. It was, it was, it was like, you know, if, if someone was a fifth generation coal miner, you know, and they were attached to the same company that had always done the same thing for, for the last, you know, my father's 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 father did this and now I do it. That was very much what a lot of the slave uh, what a what a lot of indentured servitude or slavery was like during that time. It was not the same thing that we look at today. Parts of it was, part of it was, but there was there were aspects of it that we don't understand. You know, when we talk no. about modern day sexual morality, we we look at it with our subjective moral reasoning that you know, hey, if it feels right, don't think twice. You know, James Taylor had it right, so let's let let's go for it. Um, you know, or if it's consensual between two people, it's all good. God never looked at it that way, you know, and so we have to look at what it would have meant to them in order to even hope to understand how it should be applied to us. But if you don't, well, and, and 
Yeah, but if you don't value Scripture for what it is, you'll never value the truth of God for what it should be. Well, and even that, that the phrase slavery, you're right. We look at it in the context of today, and and it, certainly the context that we know that the pre-Civil War slavery was horrific, absolutely horrific. Absolutely. Yeah. But but back then, even people with excellent talents would sell themselves, so to speak, to someone because yeah. it was also a form of of, of income. Yep. It was a form of provision for them yeah. because they were basically committing their talents, their ability, their person to yeah. another master, so to speak. And so I think, you know, it's a good example and that we and 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 there's 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 tons more. You should probably list a couple of more. Um because when we translate scripture of course, we you know it gets translated from the Hebrew, but even some of that's translated from ancient Hebrew, which we don't even really have the 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 full the full context of. We don't even yeah. can't even translate it fully. But then, if you think about the Old Testament, or no, I'm sorry, the New Testament, there was there's probably Hebrew letters out there, and some of them, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, even the Catholic Church has some of those original Hebrew letters. But then they were also translated into other languages right. because not everybody spoke Hebrew. If you're speaking to the Greeks, they, they you needed to translate it in Greek. And then, and George, this is something that you've shared in some of your teachings. Um, actually, when you did your teaching on Shalom, which was just awesome. Yeah. Um, you talked about fish market Greek, which is another form of that. Yeah. So that scripture was getting translated yeah. so that the Gentiles could read it. Yep. And so the English version is sometimes a translation of a translation of a translation. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. it, and the good news is we can go back. I think the one positive thing I'll add, and I'd like you to continue on, is that, you know, some of the oldest scrolls that we have are the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And um, There are some that predate they, that, but the, the, are Dead there Sea, some? the Dead Sea Scrolls are the most common used for new, uh, translating the New Testament. Okay. Yep. Well, and the nice thing there is, is that what happened when they uncovered these Dead Sea Scrolls is that they didn't contradict anything that was after them. Yeah, they confirmed right? it. They confirmed it. So it meant this. Why is it important it didn't contradict what was after them? Joe, don't you mean before it? No, after. It means that the teachings from there continued in integrity. Yep. The writings continued in yep. integrity. So when they found an older version of the scroll... Yep. It confirmed that the integrity of Scripture um, was was valid. Exactly. So, hey everybody, I'm back in my kitchen. I'm still in quarantine. I'm really hating this, but here I am because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I hope you enjoyed that today. Um, uh, me and Joe had a lot of fun doing it. We went off on so many tangents; it was it was hysterical. But we're really looking forward to doing some more in the future. Um, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, send us a note. We'd be happy to take a look at it, see what happens, and uh, who knows what's going to happen down the road. So uh, stay tuned for the next episode, and we'll see you later. Be safe. Bye-bye.